Hey, good morning. You can have a seat, unless, of course, you're watching from the beach. And if you are, you have to stand the entire service. Because if we can't be there with you, then you have to suffer in some kind of way. So we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and if you have a Bible on your table, you can turn. I think it's page 574. Uh, is that true? Somebody look it up and give me a shout or phone it in. Yes, okay, it is 574. And we're going to start in verse 18, and, um, or because 18 is at the end of this passage that we're going to read, but I want you to hear this last part before we read the first part, because it shows us where we're going. He says, Paul says to the Thessalonians, therefore encourage one another with these words. In other words, the words that I'm about to give you, I want you to let them give you courage. Like, to give you power to have courage in your life to live a courageous life. But courage is not something um, that's fully understood until we start giving it away. That these words are going to give us so much courage that we're going to have extra that we need to give to each other. So I was mindlessly going through YouTube this week, and I came across this video of this guy that took, um, he took 5,000 ping pong balls and put them in a giant 55-gallon metal uh, trash can and he lit them on fire has anybody ever done that and uh, I thought okay he's gonna he's gonna light ping pong balls on fire but evidently I did not know this evidently ping pong balls are highly flammable and it started to send out this little flame that eventually grew to three stories the flame was higher than this roof in here who would have known such unuseful powerful information unless of course you find yourself in a MacGyver kind of moment and you're surrounded by 5,000 ping pong balls and it's your way to escape you're probably never going to use that information but this what we're going to talk about today is powerful but it's also useful so you ready let's ping pong it all right here we go verse 13 brothers and sisters we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's words, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So uh, let me give you a little backstory. When Paul had planted the church in Thessalonica, he had taught the Thessalonians that Jesus was coming back. Um, and he was coming back for them. And so they lived, uh, in essence, they, they lived their lives back, backwards with their eye view on the coming of Christ. And they were believing in this, but something unusual started to happen in their thinking was they started having friends and family and mothers and fathers uh, die and Jesus hadn't come back yet and they began to wonder if the people that have died before Jesus came back they're gone how are they going to participate in the return of Christ 
So Paul was saying, well, slow down. I want you to be informed about this matter. I want you to be informed about your life and the lives of those who have already died. So this passage has three things for us. One is, grief with hope is powerful. Two is, that hope anchored in the return of Christ is powerful. And three, that we become active encouragers. So let's take it apart. Verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Let's pause here because Paul is first stating something that's really important, which is Christians, that we are people that are free to grieve. That grief isn't something that we suffocate because we're Christians to where we go, well, you know, everything's going to work out. You know, just put on a happy face. Just smile and be happy. That's not what Paul is saying here at all. Actually, he's saying that grief can be a real part of our lives. So what is grief? Well, grief is not an emotion. Um, grief is more like an umbrella over a lot of emotions. It's this vast mix of things you feel when you lose something or you lose someone that's important to you. Anytime I lose somebody or something that I value, then I get to experience grief. And here's what's amazing about grief and why we actually get to grieve is because as believers, Things matter to us. Like we were made to love because we are profoundly loved. And when we love something and we lose that something, we get to feel the loss of that. And that loss comes with all kinds of emotions. So grief is over this umbrella of, of anger and sadness and loneliness, fear. Maybe even joy gets peppered in there. But grief is an important part of our lives. Because let's just think about it. If, if grief is not a part of your life, is it possible that you've not attached yourself to anything that you feel the loss of when it's gone? Like, I've talked to people during the COVID season, and they're like, I'm fine. I haven't seen anybody in a year. And to be quite honest, I am completely content. And I go, whoa. So you don't miss your friends. You don't grieve the loss of your community. You don't grieve the loss of your freedom or the things that you get to do in this city. You don't grieve the impact that it's having on businesses. You don't grieve the impact it's having on the low-income families in this community that don't have access to the resources that they need because of COVID. Like, you don't grieve. Is it possible that maybe if you don't grieve, it's because you have so protected yourself from ever attaching yourself to anything that even when it's gone, you don't feel its loss? Because I'm going to promise you something. Uh, if you're going to choose to live a life of love, meaning if you're going to choose to love anything, you are going to experience loss. And it's not just when we have a friend or a family member who dies. I mean, that's obvious grief and loss. But we also can lose our health. We grieve when we lose our health. Or how about when you lose trust in a relationship that is loss when a friend or somebody that you have an intimate relationship with betrays you that is loss or how about when you lose a job especially when you lose a job that you like and you were surprised at the fact that you lost it or how about when something is stolen from you somebody broke into my truck last year and uh 
They rummaged through, and you know what they took was all the repair uh, receipts from my truck over the years. And I'm like, how dare they take my repair receipts? <laughs> so stupid, isn't it? I attached to everything. No, it's not true. But like, when, if, like, if your house burned down, would you grieve? Like, what would you grieve? Like, that's a good thing because there are things in your home, hopefully, that you've attached yourself to. Photographs and memories and works of art that have stories to them. Or friendships, when we lose a friendship. You know, I'll tell you, one of the hardest things, uh, I think, for me as a parent is I grieve the loss of seasons. Like, uh, in the hallway, um, in one of the hallways of our house, we have pictures of all our kids when they were little. And when I walk past the pictures and I see my kids when they were like two years old, I grieve. I'm like, who came and took my children away? Like when that stage is over um, where they're not cuddling with you anymore and now they want to take the car and they want to go drive away from you instead of being with you. That's a season that's over. Or think about when we grieve, when have you ever grieved because vacation was over? It's the last day at the beach. Those of you that are watching at the beach, you're about to grieve. Sooner or later, it will be over. <laughs> or Christmas is coming to an end. Or Christmas is about to start, which means your house is going to be loud. See, here's the thing about grief. If you're going to choose to live a life of attachment, which means you're going to choose to live an authentic life of living out the love that, that Christ has made you for, then you're going to attach yourself to people and to things because it's who you are. And I promise you that if you're going to live life long enough, you're going to experience loss. And if, if you don't understand you're going to experience that and grief sneaks up on you, and then you refuse to accept grief, then it's going to do harm with you. The first part of this whole passage that I want you to grasp is you've got to have the courage to admit when you're grieving. You just have to. Um, and that's hard because grief, sometimes we don't want to grieve. We don't want to feel. We don't want that emotion. So I have a friend who has two labs. And he tells me, he says, my labs, I mean, I can never feed them enough food. Like they always, they're always hungry. So when I put the food bowl down, they just, they're vacuum cleaners. <laughs> and they just suck it up. And he said, you know, I went to work the other day. And I couldn't just let them out in the backyard because they're just wild. So I locked them in my garage. Oh, yeah, okay. And so his garage has a staircase coming up from the garage, and it comes through a door into the kitchen. But the staircase, the wall on the staircase is also the wall to the pantry. And on the other side of that wall in the pantry is a bag of 25 pounds of dog food. Those dogs... They ate their way through the wall to get to that dog food and ate every bit of that dog food. That's grief. It's two hungry labs. Now, honestly, because if you refuse to grieve, if you don't deal with your grief, if you don't welcome it, it will deal with you. If you decide that grief can never come in the house, that you're never going to feed it, you're never going to acknowledge it, it will devour you. Because what it'll do is it'll convince you that loving people and loving things cost too much. 
and you'll wall yourself off from all that kind of stuff. And when COVID hits, you're happy because you have no attachments. So I was, this was a year ago. Remember a year ago when we all thought COVID was going to be over in two weeks? And we were like, ah, we'll be back by Easter. <laughs> and I was walking, and uh, I still listen to Pandora. Some of you are like Spotify people that mock me. But I was listening to uh, some Pandora channel that gives the shuffles, and I'm walking, and this song came on, uh, and it's a song about loss. And I'm just walking, and we're about three or four weeks into COVID, and I'm feeling just this deep, deep sense of grief over what we've lost, even though I didn't know the full extent of what we'd lost. And I'm walking, and this song comes on, and I'm like, this is a cheesy song. Like I, and I got ready to change it to the next song. And I paused, and I said, no, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be in this song for a minute. I need to be in this song. And, uh, and this, this is the song that came on. Stay with I know. Hang with it. This is a song about loss. Jack. Like, oh, turn that up. Sorry, you people at the beach, you can't hear this. That's okay. Your loss, our sadness. Oh, uh, come on, Celine. Just bring it. Like, Oh, yeah. So you can. So I'm walking. <laughs> I'm walking down Belmont and tears are just falling down across my face because that song awakened me to the grief that was inside of me. And I just said, OK, I'm going to walk right into it. I'm just going to embrace it and I'm just going to drink it up. I'm going to take the full cup of it. And it just rocked me. And let me tell you, it, it stops you in your tracks. But after I grieved in that moment, it, it's crazy because something floods into us when we allow ourselves to grieve, especially those of us that know Christ. This crazy thing called hope flows into us. Because if you want to be fully alive, if you want to live a life that matters, if you want to live a life to the full of being loved and loving, and if you want to mature emotionally, then you have to understand that grief can be good. When I grieve and allow myself to feel loss, then I allow hope to enter into my grief. It heals me, and it reminds me that it's good to love and lose. It reminds me that nothing will last forever, and it gives me, and this is great, when, when hope kisses grief, that gives me the courage to love again. It gives me the courage to attach again. It gives me the courage to make new friends, to start new jobs, to replace my home. It gives me courage to, to embrace my children where they are right now. So how do we do that? Well, let's go to the next part of this passage because now we need to talk about hope. Verse 14. Because this isn't an empty hope, like I hope things get better. This is a profound hope that's anchored in truth. It says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. 
According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who still are alive or left will be caught up together with them and the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Listen to this imagery here, that there's coming a day where Christ is going to return. And in this passage, it says some outrageous things. Like, let's just acknowledge this, okay? That the dead are going to rise. That all those who have died are going to rise to newness of life, and they are going to join Jesus in this entry. And then after they rise again, or after they come up from the grave, I mean, we're talking walking dead kind of stuff. Yeah, it's in the Bible. Then we are going to do a Tony Stark, that we're going to completely fly through the air, and we're going to meet Jesus up in the clouds, and then all of us together, all that have died and now are living again, and all of us who are alive when he comes back are going to join Jesus as he descends down over the earth. Come on. Seriously? So do you find it harder to believe that you're going to fly or that the dead are going to come back to life? Well, let's try to take this apart, okay? And let's try to understand what Paul is saying here because he's not trying to write the first, uh, you know, Marvel movie. He's trying to help us understand something profound. This is from Leon Morris, his commentary on Thessalonians. He says, the Greek translation or the Greek word that's translated coming or the Lord is coming, uh, it's, it's this unique kind of word. It's called perusia, which, uh, or perusia, which I like to roll the R's. The Greeks didn't roll their R's. That's a Spanish interpretation of the Greek. I just think, how often do you actually get to roll R's in your life? Like, do you ever do that when you go order in a restaurant? No? Okay. This is a term that's often used in secular literature, and Leon goes on to talk about that it's, it refers to the visit of an emperor to another city. So when this emperor is coming up on this city, the perusia of an official is this great festival. It's this huge event where all the residents of the city, when they see the prince or the dignitary at a distance, the city goes out to meet them, and then together with the dignitary, they usher this prince or this foreign king into their city. Perugia. Perugia. And what Paul is making clear here is that those who have died in faith before the return of Jesus will be the first to meet him. And they will rise from the dead and precede those who are alive when it comes time for believers to meet the Lord on the last day. See, this picture that Paul is painting for us is that our King of Kings is returning. And when he returns, even those who are dead are going to join the procession. And we're going to join that procession. Because all this language in here, sleep, meaning dead, or when it talks about the archangel's voices or the trumpet's blast, like even the word cloud, if you go to the Old Testament and you study the use of cloud in the Old Testament, you see that wherever God showed up, it was cloudy. Like he brought a cloud, like the cloud that descended on the mount or on the temple. 
And even the term in the air was often understood in the Old Testament as the domain of demons. So it's almost this, this, this apocalyptic image language that Paul is painting for us that when Christ comes back, there is nothing that he will not be king over. So whether it's literal or whether it's figurative, is it language, it's all communicating that when Christ comes back, we're going to be a part of the victory march into this world. It means that his coming will be personal, that no Christ follower will be left behind, whether you're dead or alive. It also means that it's visible and it's glorious. And finally, it also means that it's going to be local. It's not going to be local, it's going to be global. You're not going to miss it. It's not going to happen over in Europe. It's not going to be happening over in London, although a lot of cool things happen in London, like the royals, you know. The whole world's going to know about this. John Stott said that when Jesus rose from the dead and promised to return, and I mentioned London because John Stott was a pastor in London at All Souls, he says when, when Jesus rose from the dead and promised to return, it actually means that Jesus has conquered all losses and will ultimately heal and restore all of them. Think of death as the ultimate loss that represents all other losses. When Jesus returns, it is the promise that all things will be made new. Not just death, but everything. Revelations chapter one, 21 says, literally God says, I will make everything new. So why is that important? Why does that give me hope? Because think of it this way. When, when I grieve, my heart is telling me that, that something mattered to me someone mattered to me and if I love that person or if I love that thing then I begin to understand this is a gift from the Lord when you have things in your life that are worth loving they are gifts from the Lord and when you grieve you're reminded that your God gives you good gifts and when we hear the story of Jesus returning we realize that even when we lose one day the, the Jesus that we serve is coming back to make all things new and to restore all things. So C.S. Lewis talks about this and talks about the return of Christ, and he said the resurrection goes beyond the promise of an ethereal, disembodied afterlife. We get our bodies back in a state of beauty and power that we cannot totally imagine. This is so interesting, because Jesus is resurrected our resurrection body was corporal. It could be touched and embraced, and he ate food. And yet he passed through closed doors and could disappear. This is a material existence, but one beyond the bounds of our imagination. The idea of heaven can be a consolation for suffering, a compensation for the life we have lost, but resurrection is not just consolation. It is a restoration. We get it all back, the love, the loved ones, the goods, the beauty of this life, but in new, unimaginable degrees of glory and joy and strength. It's the reversal of the seeming irreversibility of loss. What C.S. Lewis is saying is that when Jesus comes back and makes all things new, it doesn't mean that he's coming back to make all things the way they were. He says he's coming back to bring a newness 
to what we've loved in a way that we've never even understood it that will deepen our attachment and our love for one another. So the last part of this passage is, you know, one is grief with hope is powerful. That hope that's anchored in the fact that Christ is coming again to make all things new is powerful. And then um, it says encourage each other with these words. First, we need to be encouraged. Our pockets are, need to be filled with courage. And when our pockets are full of courage, guess what happens? Then we can actually move toward one another with that same kind of courage. This doesn't mean that we rescue each other from grief. It doesn't mean that when we come in and somebody, a friend or a family member is grieving, that we come in and say, hey, the Bible says, in all things be joyful. Get out of that grief. It doesn't mean that we tell our friends and neighbors that if I'm going to encourage you, it's to encourage you out of the place of grieving. Maybe encouragement encourages me into the place of grieving. Because what grieving does is it allows me to realize that I've lost something that val that's valuable to me, but when you come encourage me, then you're sitting with me and saying, I'm going to sit with you and comfort you in your pain, and even though you have lost, you have not lost me. So have you ever had a situation where you've had a friend, maybe you were in college or high school, and you had a friend and they were dating somebody they were crazy about, but the person they were dating weren't crazy about them? And that moment that you knew was coming finally happened, the big breakup, where that special person came to your friend and said, it's not you, it's me, you know, and, and they try to let them down easy. But the person who does the breakuping always gets out better. Don't you know that? Like, the person that gets the broken too is always the recipient of the most pain because they're not prepared. But <clears throat> when you're sitting with that person, what they're doing is they're in their grief they're not just expressing loss, but they're also they're feeling the shame of, of their participation in that loss. They're also questioning themselves. They're questioning, you know, have I done something that has allowed me to be in this place that nobody else is in? Like when you lose a job and you look around you and nobody else has lost their job. Or your kids go through a rough season of time and you look around and you go, nobody else's kids are going through a rough season of time. Or you suffer a betrayal in a relationship and you go, nobody else seems to be suffering betrayal in a relationship. When we encourage, what we do is we're coming in and we're sitting with our friends and we're saying to them, even though you feel that you have lost everything, you have not lost me. And I want to be with you to encourage you to risk loving again and let me tell you why that's important this is so good because hey we were made to live life to the full we we were not made to survive this world and come to the end of our days as nice people we were not made to live in this city and not cause problems we were not made to be quiet and mums the word we were made to live our lives out loud as those that are representative of the kingdom of God. We are the ambassadors of love. We are the ones in this world that are saying to the world, that risk is worth it. Loving your neighbor is worth it. Loving this city is worth it. Loving people that don't love you back, which are called our enemies, is worth it. 
And we are the people that grieve a lot because we lose a lot because we love a lot. And it is an adventuresome life. And if you don't understand how grief, when it marries with hope, is what gives us courage to love again, then you're going to get stuck back here in grief and you're going to go, I'm not going to do it anymore. It's too painful. Well, the, the answer is it is painful, but it's not too painful because Jesus promises to make all things new. You know, there's a story in Matthew chapter 25. Maybe you've heard this story before where Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a master who called three of his servants together and to one he gave five talents, to another he gave two talents, and to another he gave one. Talents was money. He said, I'm, I'm going away on a trip. I'm going to give you a bunch of money. I want you to go and invest in it. I want you to make some money for me while I'm gone. So the guy with five was like, woohoo, let's go. And just, man, he went. We don't know what he did, you know. He invested in Bitcoin, I think, or something. And, you know, and he goes off and he makes five more talents. And he can't wait for the king to come back. I mean, he's living his life large. He's like, I'm risking. I'm going, I'm going for it, man. And the guy with the two talents said, mm, I don't have five, but I got two. Let's go. And he went and made two more. And then the third guy with one, it said he dug a hole and he buried the talent in the ground. And a lot of theologians have wrestled with that. Like, what advantage to the guy that buried it in the ground? Like, why would you bury it in the ground? Because even the master came back and said, why didn't you put it in the bank? If you were so afraid of losing the one talent that I've given you, the one pile of money, just put it in the bank, I at least could have gotten interest. Here's the conclusion that many theologians come to. He buried it in the ground because what he was banking on is the king ain't coming back. Because if I put it in the bank, it's still under his name. But if I bury it in the ground and he doesn't return, I'm going to go dig it up, and then it's mine. And see, what grief allows us to do is to stop hiding and burying the things that God's given us and living small as if Jesus isn't coming back grief with hope that he's returning and he's going to make me new now allows me to live this dangerous adventuresome life to where i dare to love you so you know what it cost us in this community and when i say this community i mean this fellowship here at midtown when you feel that you have no responsibility to give me your courage where you look around the room and you go, man, I have no responsibility to give encouragement to my small group. You know how small living that is? You know what it's like not to draw near to people in their grief? Not to fix them, but to comfort them and be with them and go, hey, I don't know what to do, but I do know one thing. I'm going to make sure you know you're not there alone. That you may have lost, but you haven't lost me. And you haven't lost the Lord. When we live small like that, then we build a community that lives small. Because when we dare great things, community, when we dare to love this city, when we dare to love one another, when we dare to love our families, I mean, good Lord, if you're married here, just dare to love your spouse, you're going to experience loss. But with grief and hope and the return of the Lord, that loss doesn't get the final word doesn't and when i realize that it dares me to love again because there's a greater story that's being told so 
my encouragement as, you, as we get ready to come into this worship time is do you allow yourself to grieve? Do you allow yourself to grieve deeply? To feel the emotions of your grief? Do you allow hope to come and kiss your grief? Hope that Jesus is coming back. Allow yourself to live in the view that he is coming to make all things new. He promises that. I'm going to live my life in view of that. And would you allow that to encourage you? And then here's the big kicker. Would you? Would you consider the encouragement that he's given you? He's given to you so that you can give it away. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage in 1 Thessalonians. Would it draw us to you and teach us? Would it, Lord, open our eyes for those in this room that don't know grief? That maybe, Father, you would dare them to love. And for those in this room that have known grief deeply, that they would find hope. That those that are in the midst of loss right now uh, would find profound hope in their grief and be encouraged. And Lord, would you allow us to be those that encourage others?